Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We are delighted to welcome the Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina. That's Bob Phillips, and Bob has been with us a number of times since he's been in his role as uh, head of Common Calls North Carolina. He accepted that job in 2001, and so, Bob, I guess the thing they say is, uh, well, maybe you can hold a job. I mean, you know, you've been... <laughs> well, this is maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, this is maybe one of those times when I have held on to this job a little longer than others. <laughs> uh, Bob, of course, uh, at one time was a uh, when he had his good sense, he was a journalist, and he actually worked at WPTF uh, back when WPTF had WPTF TV. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, welcome to the program, Bob, and delighted to have you with us. We are in election season in a big sort of way. It, uh, of course, has been on everyone's minds and lips uh, earlier this year uh, since uh, I guess the spring. Uh, but even more so since Labor Day, because that's sort of the unofficial, official start of the political season. I think it maybe started a little earlier this year. So, Bob, uh, there's more interest, of course, this year in North Carolina because we've got uh, not only a very hot and hotly contested presidential uh, preference race in North Carolina, but we also have uh, a, a very important senatorial race. All the Council of State positions are up. And of course, uh, judicial positions and all the uh, congressional seats. And uh, this is a little different because this is the, uh, I guess, the first election since we've sort of redistricted, uh, did some redistricting, and most of the congressmen are going to be voting or running in districts that uh, uh, they did not run in before. And uh, we won't talk about that. We'll do that in a later session. But right now, it seems like the hot topic is the topic of mail in and absentee voting, and uh, uh, some controversy about whether or not we can pull that off, and also some interesting thoughts about what that might do to election night. So first of all, what what is uh, your knowledge and your experience with uh, uh, and your thoughts on absentee voting and the mail-in situation this year compared to past elections? Well, certainly more people than ever before in North Carolina are considering it <clears throat> as an option because of the pandemic we have had no excuse absentee ballot voting for many years here. And that simply is allowing someone to request an absentee ballot. Uh, and they don't have to have any kind of a, a reason to, uh, to get one. Uh, but because of the pandemic, there has been some thought that maybe 20% plus of our 5 million uh, likely voters, you know, might actually take advantage of voting absentee. Whereas in the past, uh, in 2016, it was uh, less than uh, 3%. Uh, I think as we're talking, it's a little under a million people who have requested an absentee ballot so far. Um, we don't require someone who gets an absentee ballot to vote absentee. They can still go and do an early person voting, but unlike some have suggested, uh, double voting is illegal. Uh, every absentee ballot has a distinctive barcode uh, connected to the voter, and that, that prevents someone from double voting. But to your question, lots of people are looking at absentee uh, ballot voting in this election here in North Carolina. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I think uh, one of the reasons, I, I know this is a, a hot matter with President Trump, 
because I think he feels like perhaps it's going to work against him. But there are states where the Republicans actually think it's going to work for them. And so he doesn't even have his entire party behind him on this uh, particular issue. What's your feeling? Do you think there's more or less chance for voter fraud in this set of circumstances uh, than in uh, in person voting? In person voting, you know, in terms of statistics, has shown to be less voter fraud than uh, absentee ballot. We did have a situation in the congressional uh, 2018 race outside of Charlotte, the 9th Congressional, where there was, that was a situation where someone was actually connecting with people who were voting absentee, and that person was physically taking the ballots, which is against the law, uh, and then turning them in, uh, and that was very unusual. Um, but even fraud across the country where states that have 100% vote by mail generally do not experience a lot of fraud. And Wyoming, I guess, Don, to your point, is a heavily Republican state, and they, they are 100% vote by mail and certainly endorse it. But it is something that's difficult to make a complete transition and switch to. So when we were looking at making the rules easier to vote by mail, uh, and law and a legislation was uh, passed in June and signed into law, um, we also said that, you know, we are a state that has a tradition of in-person voting, and we certainly did not want to diminish that. So again, it's everybody, you know, voters have options in this election, which is good, and that is either vote in person early election day or vote by mail. Now, when you vote by mail, the count does not begin. I'm asking, I'm making a statement, but I'm really asking this as a question. Uh, the, the count does not start till after the polls are closed, even on the absentee votes. Is that correct? It, it, it is uh, from a standpoint of the official count. But here's what is happening. Uh, September 4th, North Carolina became the first state in America where voters could start casting uh, ballots as the absentee ballots went out. We were number one. So some people have already, I think 40 or 50,000 people have already voted uh, in this election in North Carolina by mail. Um, when the ballots come to a board of elections, they are inspected immediately to make sure on the outside that things have been done properly, like did the voter sign the ballot as is required? Is there a witness signature that has been signed as is required. And if there is a problem there, then the voter is immediately alerted so they can make that correction. But that is not where the vote or where the ballot you know, has been counted, it has just been inspected. Uh, beginning September 29th, and that's a Tuesday, and for every Tuesday prior to the election, the Board of Elections will then begin opening up the ballots and it will be in a public meeting where witnesses or observers can observe this. As they open up the ballot and literally flatten them out, they will run them through a tabulator. It's not a count per se that's official, but it is a tabulator. And why that's important and to your question, Don, it means that on election night when the polls close, it will not be where North Carolina is just beginning that process of physically having to, let's say we have a million absentee ballots, uh, that will largely have been done. And then through the tabulator, they can get the count. Um, what the, what the executive, um, State Board of Elections Executive Director has predicted 
is when the polls close, or rather when the polls open on election day, it's pro- it's possible that 80% of North Carolina's vote will already be in through a combination of absentee ballot voting and early voting. Um, so that gives us an advantage in that we will not necessarily be one of those states that has tens of thousands of absentee ballots that have to be counted and that the outcome in North Carolina may be two or three days or whatever after the fact. So you think by the traditional times that we have been accustomed to, we will know the results in North Carolina? I think we will know a lot. And to your point about what's at stake in this election, we have the third longest ballot in the country. And there certainly will be some very close races that may have to be um, in terms of when you have absentee ballots that have come in uh, on election day and the law allows absentee ballots that have the postmark before 5 p.m. November 3rd to actually be counted up to uh, November 6th, which is the Friday. In other words, the voter has mailed the absentee ballot in the proper time, but it physically didn't get to the Board of Elections until up to three days afterwards those ballots will still be counted. So if you had a race that was literally going to be decided by just a handful of votes, something like that, of course, may not be known. But to your question, Don, I think largely most of the races, we will probably know uh, uh, along the, the normal time. Yes. I would say the answer to that is yes. Well, it would make sense that if a person goes to the trouble to request uh, an absentee vote or an early ballot vote, uh, that they will go ahead and turn it in early rather than wait to the last minute to mail it in. I mean, I, I would, I'm, I'm like you, I, w- I would guess that the number of votes turned in at the deadline that might be late getting to the, to the proper place for counting would be rel- relatively small. I would think so. We are certainly in our own nonpartisan education urging people to, if they do want to vote by mail, do it early, you know, and that way, if there is a problem, there's an opportunity to resolve it. I think it's October 29th. That is the last day you can actually request an absentee ballot. In other words, you can't request it the day of or the day before. So there are some things built into our law that also almost make it where a voter is going to have to get that ballot in on time if they are requesting it. Well, it seems like the the discussion about voter ID and same-day registration and out-of-precinct voting and all that sort of thing has sort of been pushed off by the whole overall discussion of the huge amount of people that will be voting by mail. And, and uh, those, those issues don't seem to be as hot, hotly discussed right now as, as they were had we not had this situation. That's a good point, Don. And of course, the voter ID, which is in our Constitution as it was passed by the people of North Carolina in 2018, but will not be in effect for this election because of pending litigation. So, while we are and we do have an ID law, it will not be applied to this election. Well, it's, it's interesting. And, and of course, as we've said so many things right now during this COVID-19 uh, situation that we're in, uh, puts us in the position of saying, well, this is, this is certainly different. Well, it certainly is. And we'll just have to see how it shakes out. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Calls North Carolina. And we'll be back. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the congressional races and the new districts. And we'll do that when we return here on Carolina Newsmakers. 
Sanders. This is nice. I was hoping you'd like it. It's my special recipe. I'm sorry, sir, but it appears as though your credit card has been declined. Did everyone hear that? This person right here, credit card, declined. Oh. If we can please have an awkward silence the next 10 seconds. Whoa, what's with the megaphone? Just trying to properly illustrate your embarrassment and humiliation to the public, sir. What? If everyone could start mumbling and shaking their heads. Nice, ma'am, I like that with the pointing. Mm. He's shaking like a leaf. Good job. Hey, buddy, please. I'm with a date here. Look, so I'm late on a few payments. I'll make it up next month. Promise. Mm -hmm. He promises to pay it all back next month. Can we have an aww? aww? Don't worry, Adam. It happens to everybody. This has no effect on our date whatsoever. Really? Yes, really. There just won't be another one. See ya. And she's off. Wait, come back. I have other cards. I have other restaurants. Putting more on your card than you can afford to spend can lead to even bigger problems, like public humiliation. Don't let your credit put you in a bad place. Go to controlyourcredit.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Ad Council. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. The entire world watched. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. And humanity saw that the sky was not the limit. Achievement. Pass it on. From the foundation for a better life. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is the executive director of Common Calls North Carolina, Bob Phillips. He's been in that role now for uh, almost 20 years, I guess 19 years to be exact. And uh, as we said, uh, Bob at one time was a member of the news staff at WPTF. And so we have uh, a long association with Bob and he uh, uh, has uh, been around for a long time. At one point, he was also press secretary for former Lieutenant Governor Dennis Wicker. He did that right before joining Common Calls. Well, uh, as we said, uh, when we opened the program, we were talking about the elections. And one another thing that is different about this election in North Carolina is uh, the uh, redistricting that uh, took place. And uh, so almost every congressman has some major differences in their uh, makeup of their district. Uh, in many cases, uh, it remains slanted one party or the other, but uh, basically uh, a lot of congressmen are running in areas that they have not run in before, and uh, that uh, makes it a little unique. Uh, Bob, have you looked at the districts? Which, which districts are the most affected by these changes? Well, they, there is change, um, like you said, um, slight changes in some, major changes in others. 13 congressional districts we have in North Carolina and the second and the sixth, the second being a district that George Holding um, currently occupies, and the sixth is uh, uh, Mark Harris out of Greensboro. Um, those two districts were changed enough to where they will likely flip. In other words, what were once safe seats for the Republicans uh, is likely to become safe seats for the Democrats. Now, we were a, a litigant in the, the whole process of saying that partisan gerrymandering is bad. And our purpose was never about outcomes, but about changing the process. 
But of the 13 congressional districts where there is currently 10 Republicans and three Democrats, I would suspect what we will see is eight Republicans and five Democrats. That said, the 11th congressional district, which is the far west and and includes Asheville now, uh, and also the 8th congressional district, I believe, which is sort of a central southeastern North Carolina. Don, it may be kind of in your old neck of the woods. Um, maybe some of those counties down there, I can't really remember, but, um, those two might be competitive, uh, more so than they have been in the past. Uh, hope that doesn't sound too confusing, but that's, it will probably shift from 10, three Republican advantage to eight, five Republican advantage would be my guess. The, uh, interesting thing, of course, uh, about, uh, the way that, uh, races are done, uh, is they buy television time and television time, uh, particularly in many of these districts, uh, the congressman is going to have to buy two different television markets to cover his district. That runs the cost of uh, campaigning up. Uh, the second thing that sort of comes to play here is that uh, with the huge amount of time being purchased by the presidential candidates and the United States Senate race, some congressmen may not be able to buy uh, um, uh, time because when it's sold out, it's sold out. Um, have you looked at what effect uh, the uh, redistricting will do on campaign cost of these candidates? You raise a very good um, uh, point, and um, that is, uh, you know, where there could be some lines changed regarding. Um, where they might have to buy multiple TV markets. And certainly that would raise uh, potentially the costs. Um, There has been, I guess, some thought that um, in terms of how campaign money is deployed, uh, it's not all television anymore. It's digital as well. So um, it it could mean that um, people are having to spend their money in different avenues besides just the traditional TV uh, but make no mistake about it, you know, we do see traditionally some of the most expensive uh, races in the country, and I'm sure this this year will be no different. The um, uh, whole situation, of, of course, nationwide, uh, every congressional seat in Congress is up. What is the forecast uh, from your organization? Because you're, of course, uh, connected with a, a, a national organization. What uh, does that organization forecast is going to happen with control of the House and the Senate? Are you talking about the U.S. or the North Carolina legislature? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, although not Common Cause, you're right, we're part of a national organization. And although we are totally nonpartisan, none of our work is connected to any political party or candidate, um, the forecast would be very much tracking if there is such a thing as a forecast, but tracking what the polls are suggesting. And that is that um, the U.S. Senate is certainly in play and everything we seem to hear. And again, this would be like anyone looking at the polls that the House very much is likely to kind of stay in control um, uh, with uh, the Democrats, the U.S. House as they control it now. I think the drama and obviously what we are looking at, we aren't really projecting what we are looking at is, you know, what's going to happen with the North Carolina General Assembly? Uh, as we know, the past decade, it has been the majority party has been the Republicans, uh, but it's tight. The majority, the super majorities uh, were um, busted, as you will, in 2018. And uh, in 2020, I think there's 
quite a bit of uncertainty in both chambers as to who will control it uh, after November 3rd. Are there any suggestions of what the numbers might look like in the House and the Senate as far as how close is it? Well, you know, Don, it's funny, and I'm sure you talk to some of the same people, um, the people who are in the business of politics and candidates and what have you. And uh, I have tended to hear more from the minority party, that's Democrats, who kind of speak, uh, you know, with confidence that they feel like they might be able to um, take either chamber. Um, Currently, the Republicans have a um, six-seat majority in the House and a five-seat majority in the Senate. In other words, it it would take six wins for the Democrats to topple the House and five wins for them to topple the Senate. The difference in the Senate is uh, the lieutenant governor breaks ties. So actually, if they won that race, the lieutenant governor's race, and then they took four new seats, uh, they could potentially take the Senate. Um, Most people think it's going to, one of two things will happen. It's either going to be, it's going to tighten up where the Republican majorities will be that much closer, or if the Democrats do uh, take one or both chambers, it will be by the narrowest of margins. Um, It just speaks to more of what we are, and that is a purple state. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, North Carolina uh, has proven that uh, conclusively, and now, especially with the redistricting, the uh, voter count more closely represents that uh, purpleness, if you want to call it that. but of course, you know, when you say they take six seats or five seats, that also assumes they don't lose any along the way. They're going That's to have a net gain of six, a net gain of five. And uh, that uh, makes it even a little bit more complicated because there may be some flips uh, uh, the other way uh, with the redistricting. So who knows? That's well, very true. That's very true. It's uh, going to be kind of interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of people that think uh, gridlock is. Uh, uh, maybe one of the better forms of government because it does force, when I say gridlock, I'm talking about either a tie or, or something that's very close to a tie because then it forces the politicians to cross aisle and have dialogue and and uh, do a little bit more compromising. What's your position on that? Do you like uh, uh, parties being having uh, uh, control or do you like uh, the situation where it's so close that they have to dialogue? Well, the party whichever the party that's in control that likes our agenda is what I like, obviously. I guess I could say that in a self-serving way. But um, I think your point is right. You always, and I think everybody wants to see folks work together, work across the aisle. Uh, We've had a little bit of that in North Carolina. And of course, you and I have talked. Surprisingly, there are a lot of uh, issues that uh, people do come together on. The big ones, the controversial ones, I guess you might say often there there can be division. I think what could be interesting, and we've never had this, um, or I should say, I I take that back, we have had this in North Carolina, but you could have one chamber controlled by one party and the other chamber controlled by another, and that would kind of be the same kind of thing you're speaking to, Don, that to get something passed and into law would require some bipartisan compromise, and I like that. I think that could be good, you know, for everybody. So in some ways, that, that, that would be a good thing if that happens as well. Well, it's uh, it's going to be a, a interesting, and of course, you know, this might not be a year where you really want to have control because there are going to be some hard decisions that are going to have to be made, especially in the state level where the budget has to be balanced. The federal government can continue to borrow money and uh, sort of have business as usual, but because of the 
the loss of revenue resulting from uh, uh, decreased employment and also decreased sales tax revenue, um, state of North Carolina is going to have some big deficits. So the party that is in control may get blamed for that. They may not want to have those decisions next time because it's going to be tough. Politics is so much about timing, and you're exactly right. Uh, and there's so much unpredictableness. Last time we talked, I know, it was pre-pandemic. I know we would have never thought we would be talking under these circumstances. And indeed, it's going to be challenging for anyone who is an elected official or political party to be taking the reins of power come January 2021. Off the top of your head, we've got about a minute and 25 seconds or so. Is there any one big thing that might change a block of votes that could happen between now and election day? That's a great question. Uh, and you know that there are always, what do they call them, October surprises or September surprises that you just have to feel are, um, you know, coming on the way. Uh, from a national standpoint, I mean, I think so much is driven, you know, by Washington and national politics. And I guess it just something like that, you know, maybe if there really was this breakthrough with a vaccine that legitimately was ready or some kind of conclusive I think that could give a lot of people comfort and uh, a knowledge that perhaps things are now finally going to be, you know, better as far as a light at the end of the tunnel. But that's also just the wild card, the unpredictableness of just not knowing, you know, what's coming, what's out there. But uh, certainly there could be some swings coming up. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Calls North Carolina, a nonpartisan political organization, an advocacy group. And we're going to talk a little bit about Common Calls and and its origins and uh, genesis. And we'll do that uh, when we come back with our next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. I can help the next customer over here. Oh, thank you. Hi. Wow, that's a lot of books. Let's see. How to keep your child safe. Child-proofing your home. Child-proofing your yard. Child-proofing your in-laws home and yard. Well, I'm guessing you have a little one at home. Yeah. Well, it looks like you must take good care of her. Oh, thank you. Now, let's see. Parents' Guide to Safe Toys. That's a really good one. Parents' Guide to Safe Foods. Parents' Guide to Safe Safety Products. Parents' Guide to Parenting Guides. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and other safety tips. Of all the things you can read about keeping your child safe, the most important is attached to the back of their car seat. Read the instruction manual and learn to use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Parents' Guide to Telling Other Parents How to Raise Their Kids. To learn more, go to safercar.gov. Anchor, tether, latch, the next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or a consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Bob Phillips. Bob has been with us a number of times during his uh, nearly 20-year run as uh, the head of Common Calls North Carolina. Bob, tell us a little bit about Common Calls North Carolina. Uh, it's unique uh, in the fact that it is an advocacy group, but uh, uh, you are nonpart- nonpartisan based on issues rather than on party politics. 
That's right. Uh, actually, last month, 50 years ago, was when Common Cause uh, was actually formed or created, 1970, by a fellow named John Gardner, who was a Republican, uh, for what it's worth, and had been in the Johnson administration as the HEW secretary, I guess, maybe back in a time when there was a little bit more of that uh, bipartisan look to some of the, you know, administrations and their cabinets. But it was founded basically, you know, with the sort of mission of uh, more open, honest, and accountable government advocating for that. And uh, as Gardner often talked about, people power, uh, bringing citizens together for a common cause. And some of the big things that, you know, we've worked on in North Carolina included simple things like it used to be when you had a vote in the legislature, there was no board to see how people voted. And uh, so things like that, up to many of the changes we've seen in voting, including what we talked about with early voting, you know, for the longest time in North Carolina, it was just election day voting only, campaign finance reform, lobbying ethics reform. We are advocates for things that we believe will improve our democracy and again, Don, as you say, in a nonpartisan fashion, I have been around a while, as you've uh, noted, uh, and I value the ability to work with people from both sides of the aisle. And we have done that, particularly on issues such as lobbying and ethics reform. Uh, but uh, there's no shortage of work. And um, as much as I'd love to say, hey, maybe what I do won't be needed anytime soon, um, there certainly seems to be much, much more work for us to try to do in our minds to improve democracy. Bob, uh, one of the things that uh, is, I guess, the biggest change I've personally seen from our point of view as being in the media has been the uh, importance of super PACs, third party money. Uh, this is a relatively new uh, concept. Uh, I guess we've, we've had, what, three elections or four maybe, uh, where this has been a, a factor and it's getting to be increasingly so. Uh, as uh, we have told our listeners several times, when a candidate runs the ad, they usually have a disclaimer at the end of the ad, and it says this ad was paid for uh, by so-and-so, and I approve it. Um, so that's a candidate ad. And, uh, uh, but then, then the super PACs come in and uh, buy ads, usually focused on an issue, but usually they come down on the side of one candidate or the other. Uh, what is your view about super PACs and, and uh, this change in our uh, election process? I wish we didn't have them, obviously. In fact, the whole big money in politics is one of the biggest uh, issues for us. And we wished we could have alternatives to that. Candidates do need money to run a campaign, but we wish we could make it something different from wealthy donors and or corporations the super PACs that came about from the Citizens United decision from the U.S. Supreme Court enabled any individual or any corporation to spend unlimited amounts of money to for the, for the purposes of electing or defeating a candidate as long as it, there was no coordination. And it's money that's not transparent. We often don't know exactly who is behind it. And uh, it's often called soft money or dark money. And Don, what we've seen is that this soft and dark money has become so enormous that it's actually a bigger impact than what the candidates themselves, you know, raise. And uh, I think it's a very disturbing fact of our political world, campaign finance world, 
and we hope that there can be reforms someday pushed to kind of push this special interest, big money out of the picture and provide uh, better alternatives. Bob, the other big change that's happened in, uh, in our careers, especially is you go back to the 80s, we had the three major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And most of the news that was on and received by the American public came from those three networks. Uh, and then, of course, along came CNN. And then before you know it, we've got a wrath of cable channels. Um, how has that affected the whole political scene? Well, you know, I think the candidates can kind of play to those favorite networks or broadcast entities that they uh, have. And I just feel like it's unfortunate that we don't have the old days. Maybe it's me being nostalgic of what you felt were kind of trusted sources of news that were more objective than perhaps what we see. I think from a standpoint of our own work as well, uh, as we don't see as many local reporters, newspapers, um, maybe the broadcast hadn't changed as much, but um, so much of our ability to kind of get our message out uh, came from having that other set of eyes and ears watching the General Assembly or Congress. And from a standpoint, as, as you know, the Capitol Press Corps, as we called it, it's a shell of what it was from back in the 1980s, uh, back when you, know, you and I worked together. Uh, but those were some golden years for having a robust uh, Raleigh Capitol Press Corps. And it's a shame we don't have it now. And of course, the other big backdrop to that is the dying influence of the so uh, of the daily newspaper, which has just really become a shell of its former self as far as importance. It, it has. I mean, I know that as we speak, there was a story out of uh, North Carolina where the Greensboro and the Winston-Salem papers just unfortunately let some folks go. Um, and, you know, I, I still subscribe to the News and Observer. It's uh, electronic. It's not the paper form because, you know, that's really where you're going to be kept up to date. Uh, but uh, it's regretful that we don't have as many reporters around as we once did. And I don't know really what the answer is. I know it's all connected to the advertising, but uh, print particularly has been just um, gutted uh, by this you know, new world we live in. Well, the other thing that happens also, and, and uh, even the people who are uh, so influenced by what I'm getting ready to say will, will admit it, but people find a news source that agrees with them. And so it supports their position and makes them even firmer. And they sometimes don't hear the other side. Those who watch Fox News or uh, even CNN or watching a, a more liberal uh, view of the news. Uh, I mean, uh, conserv uh, Fox would be more uh, conservative and CNN and MSNBC would be more conservative. And so they they don't hear the other side as much. And that bothers me a great deal because uh, merely reinforcing what you already believe is not a good way of doing any research. I agree with you. And I think from a societal standpoint, you know, it kind of or filters down to choices we make of where we live, where we work, the kind of activities we get involved in. We seemingly, when I say we, society making more choices about wanting to be just around the people who think the way they do only and look 
you know, with a jaundiced or with a critical eye towards anyone who thinks differently. And that's true on, you know, quote, both sides. Uh, and I'm very troubled by this as well. The other big change, of course, if we, if we divide this into four big changes, the, the lack of the influence of the daily newspaper, the lack of the influence of the three major networks, uh, and the emergence of a number of news channels. The fourth change, of course, is social media or digital. And uh, the problem with social media is uh, whether or not it's accurate because you can say almost anything you want to social media. And because people are accustomed to what is printed is usually uh, has been accepted as being fact, sometimes that leads to an awful lot of confusion. It really does. Uh, and again, I mean, I know what you're touching upon speaks to bigger issues as well, but uh, I do worry too about profiles and things people might say or put on uh, these things like Instagram and Facebook or what have you. And maybe when it's kids who have done something which uh, then becomes almost a permanent record and somebody is branded as something, uh, you know, at an age where maybe uh, back when you and I were coming along, I guess, goodness knows, if there had been recordings of everything we had said and done, we wouldn't be where we are sitting here right now. And that's partly another part of all this that uh, troubles me as well. Well, you know, I go back to the WPTF radio files and I find a lot of the political broadcasts from the 40s and the uh, 50s, the late 40s and the 50s, were in the form of 15 and 30 minute uh, political broadcasts. And of course, what most candidates talked about was what they were in favor of. Now we are focusing almost entirely on negative ads. And so we, a lot, uh, many cases, we know what somebody is opposed to, not necessarily what they're in favor of. Yeah, it's indeed sort of the formula of you, if you have the money to advertise, you do a feel-good commercial or two, but really then you're attacking uh, your opponent, trying to define your opponent uh, to the electorate. And then that's where, too, some of these gotcha moments or what we call October surprises, you know, can be out there, too, for the, dra for the drama or dramatics of it. Um, it's a shame, but that is unfortunately the pattern we're in. By the way, I would mention this, that the super PAC money, uh, we uh, in broadcasting have no choice about what a political candidate says because they're protected. <clears throat> but uh, the super PAC money, the commercials come in and very often we send them back and say, you know, you can't say that without documentation. Uh, and uh, they will have some loose form of documentation. But the truth of the matter is uh, it, it's uh, it's all usually pretty uh pretty negative. And I like the term dark money because basically that's what it is. Dark money indeed, Don. We just need to get more transparency of where this money is coming from. Well, again, uh, this is uh, sort of new for all of us in a way, and it is certainly having a major impact on the way elections are run. Well, our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. In small towns and big cities, from coast to coast and around the world. Habitat for Humanity volunteers gather with purpose. Hand in hand, they come together. They may be strangers or they may be friends, but they are all builders of hope and homes. Hammers are raised, bricks are laid, 
dreams take shape, and another family finds shelter in a home they help build. Through their time and talents, Habitat for Humanity volunteers are helping change lives for the better, and in the process, maybe even changing their own lives as well. Together, we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support the work of Habitat for Humanity in your community or wherever your heart leads you. Now more than ever, please volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. And welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest, as we've said several times before in this program, is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina, an advocacy group that is uh, bipartisan and it focuses on issues. And uh, with Bob, of course, is a former broadcaster, former member of the staff of WPTF back in the dark, age, uh, dark ages when he and I were just puppies. Uh, and I'm older than he is. I have to admit that. But anyway, Bob, uh, we've had a, a lot of uh, discussion during this program about uh, the uh, election process that's going on, uh, which is very much affected by the whole overall effects of COVID-19, not only the issues, but also the fact that we're going to have a lot of mail-in or absentee voting. And I think you said earlier, as many as one million of North Carolina's five million likely voters will probably cast their votes that way. That's the way things are projecting right now, Don. Um, again, it's a uh, an option that everyone can consider. And as I mentioned too, uh, you can now do it by your phone. You can go to uh, the SBE site and it's an electronic portal. And this is brand new where you can make the request for an absentee ballot. You cannot vote electronically, but you can request the ballot from your phone. But um, we are seeing this as a viable option. And again, to repeat, if you do get an absentee ballot, you can hold on to it. And if you decide that you want to vote early or vote on election day, you can still do it. But because every absentee ballot has a barcode unique to the voter, that prevents anyone from voting twice. We, uh, uh, you gave about the best explanation of why North Carolina is perhaps a little bit uh uh, better prepared for this type of voting than most other states. And the fact that the vote count may not be as delayed in North Carolina as, as it might be in other states. And credit both sides of the General Assembly, Republicans and Democrats, who did come together earlier this year and passed this bipartisan bill that did make some changes to voting by mail. And one of the changes they made was extending the time that County Board of Elections across North Carolina can physically open those absentee ballots in a public meeting. It's going to start five weeks before the election, September 29th, but at least that way the ballots can be flattened out, run through a tabulator, not for an official count, but at least getting the votes processed and tabulated where we're not one of those states 
come 7.30 election night, we're just starting. In this case, we've got a great head start. And we're one of the, I won't say few states, but certainly not every state has that advantage that we do. Well, obviously, uh, this is going to be a matter of concern. And uh, uh, we are accustomed to knowing when we go to bed on uh, election night are usually pretty certain of who the president is. We had, uh, of course, the Florida situation a couple of years ago with the uh, voting machine problem. But other than that, uh, we usually have a pretty good idea in the last 25 uh, or last 30 years or so of who's been elected. We also talked about how important the United States Senate race is in North Carolina, because this could very well be the deciding factor on who controls the the United States Senate. are what three or four seats that the Democrats uh, have uh, really targeted. Uh, there are a couple of seats that the Republicans might gain. So that's going to be an interesting situation to follow that. Uh, um, and of course, uh, the uh, tie 50 50 would give the Democrats an advantage. That's if they take, obviously, the, um, well, it would give them an advantage where they would be closer. But uh, just like in the Senate of the North Carolina Senate, uh, Vice President, I guess, would be the the tiebreaker, depending upon who wins. But North Carolina, we are increasingly, you know, the maybe the most biggest battleground state there is and how closely contested these statewide races are. Um, and certainly um, it reflects what we are, and that is a we are a purple state. Well, Bob, when you and I started in this business, uh, we, North Carolina was sort of a also run factor as far as the federal government. We have grown in population to the point where we have uh, a, an increasingly number, uh, an increasing number of electoral votes. We also have now 13 congressional seats and likely uh, after the census, we're gonna have 14. And uh, then on top of that, we are definitely a purple state. We, uh, you can look at the registration, but then you've got to look at the high number of people who are registered as unaffiliates. And uh, we are just playing a purple state. That's all there is to it. And that's not all bad, as we talked about early. When you have these highly competitive contests, you do hope uh, that that will tend to be making folks want to work together after the fact. Um, I think our North Carolina General Assembly will tighten up from uh, from where, where the numbers are. Uh, one party is going to control, obviously, although we could have one shaper controlled by one party and another by the other. But um, all that, as we mentioned earlier, might lead to uh, a, a more of a willingness to reach across the aisle and work together. And of course, this goes up and down the ballot because the council of state positions are up. And uh, because uh, there's going to be so much money spent on the top races, many of these candidates will not be able to do much advertising. Uh, so uh, who takes the top seats it is definitely going to affect the down ballots, the various council of state positions, and uh, in many cases, the judicial races. So uh, it's, it's going to be a really interesting night. Uh, do you see anything that will happen in North Carolina in particular that might uh, make a major change in the way people are thinking right now? Because right now, all the polls I'm seeing is it looks like it's very tight. I think folks are locked in. I mean, I know that's an anecdote, but people seem to be so either I'm for this candidate or I'm for the other at the presidential place. And you just wonder how many undecideds really are there? And of course, that's where the fight is. I mean, I guess something dramatic 
could always happen at a national level that could affect North Carolina politics. But, you know, on those down ballot races, too, that's where coattails uh, traditionally matter. But of course, we no longer have the straight party ticket voting anymore. So somebody has to go down and select uh, a candidate in every contest. Uh, but it, people seem to be very much locked in from what I can tell. Yeah, one, one major difference in North Carolina is the uh, governor and the lieutenant governor are not on the same ticket, whereas the president and the vice president are all on the same ticket. So we could have a situation in North Carolina where the uh, we have a Democratic governor or a Republican governor and uh, a lieutenant governor from the opposite party. We've had that situation before. So that's have it right, Have it right now. And, of course, as you mentioned, I used to work for – uh, a lieutenant governor, and that's when they were of the same party. And uh, it, there would be probably, maybe they should run as a team. That's a whole other conversation. But you're right. We could have, uh, once again, people from different parties serving in those two offices. Well, it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, next two months. And uh, uh, I guess, well, actually, it's less than two months now. The time is going by very rapidly. Bob, we certainly appreciate you being with us. Uh, Bob Phillips, the Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina, an advocacy group that uh, uh, has uh, been the employer of Bob now for nearly 20 years, and he's been a frequent guest on our program. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Or if you missed uh, two segments, as some of our stations only carry a 30-minute version of the program, you can also pick up those segments by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. That address again, carolinanewsmakers.com. And by the way, all of the previous programs that Bob Phillips has shared with us are also available in our archives. And that uh, uh, is kind of interesting to go back and hear some of Bob's old programs as well. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he faithfully promises me that he will have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations. So until next week, same time, same station, all across North Carolina. We hope you and yours have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.